This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are talking politics and religion without killing each other. I am your host, Corey Nathan, and it is an honor to be a part of the Democracy Group, a network of podcasts that examines what's broken in our democracy and how we can work together to fix it. And there is some stuff broken in our democracy. We, we say it bent, it didn't break. Uh, some, some stuff broke. Some stuff broke, <laughs> you know? And we're working together to figure out how to fix this stuff. It's a, it really is an honor to be a part of other voices in our culture that are looking at this stuff and, and having better conversations, healthier conversations, being sober-minded about what is wrong in our uh, country and um, coming in goodwill and good faith to try to fix this stuff. Remember to subscribe or follow, depending on the app that you're listening on, to talk of politics and religion without killing each other. Um, and of course, leave us a good rating and write that review. I've been talking about this for weeks. Write the review. We've been getting some really nice reviews. I am so grateful. Here's one from Lindsay Max, five stars. So thank you so much for the five stars, Lindsay. Uh, Lindsay said, great, holistic, balanced perspective. In this day and age, there is so much division in regards to politics, and it was really refreshing to see a podcast geared towards listening to other humans' perspectives in a civil way and seeking common ground. I love their thoughtful, in-depth conversations on both political issues and religion. That's really meaningful, and I really appreciate that. Um, That's good feedback, and it's encouraging to know that we're on the right track and Um, It really, like, it's obviously encouraging to me, but it also does help us in a very concrete way. Um, The reviews in particular on Apple help because um, there are certain things that are weighted in our ranking in global podcasts and domestic podcasts. We're currently in the top 1.5% of all podcasts globally, which is awesome. It's just, wow. I mean, that's saying a lot considering where we've come from. Uh, my goal is to be in the top 1%, top 1% and beyond, you know, and these, the, the missing link for us are these reviews. So if you would find the time to do that, if you've done it on Apple, that's awesome. Find another app, Podcast Addict, Pocket Cast. Uh, Spotify doesn't allow written reviews, but like the five stars definitely helps on there. Um, any up cast box, you can leave comments, um, player FM, iHeart, whatever, just figure it out. You know, it really does make a huge, huge difference. And I really appreciate it. And it does go a long way to helping us get discovered so that the Dan Bonginos of the world, the Sean Hannity's of the world, or whoever the hell else, uh, Tucker Carlson, you know, um, they, they they don't need any more help. Uh, but the sane voices that are not the extreme part of the extremes, uh, which is most of us, it's like 85% of us, we need more uh, we need to come together and have our voices heard. This is one small way that you can do it. And it's a, you know, it's a boost for our little program. And I really appreciate it. So this is another solo episode. Uh, it's really good to be able to talk this stuff out. These monologue shows have been a cool, uh, cool way for to help me think things through. And a number of folks have brought up these subjects uh, and then we get into a conversation about them. So, you know, some, some folks who haven't engaged with me about all the great interviews that we do, which I love, and we're never going to get away from that. Um, for whatever reason, some of the subjects I've been covering in these solos 
have uh, resonated with certain folks and they've been engaging with me about it. And that's really what it's all about. It's about engaging in healthy conversations, even if we disagree on things. And I'm sure I'm going to cover some things today that some folks really, really disagree with. And that's the point. It's like, hey, let's, um, let's figure it out. Let's find out where we disagree. Or maybe we're saying the same thing in different ways and we don't really disagree. It just sounds that way. So that's the idea. Uh, and I, I really appreciate it. Uh, and reach out to me. Let's, let's have that conversation. Reach out to each other. That's a, whole, that's a whole point, right? So what I wanted to talk about today is <laughs> the fact that it's going to be okay. <laughs> Even if it's not okay, it'll be okay. So what am I talking about? Uh, so first of all, we got to be candid. We got to be honest. And so many of us, it, I'll give you the bad news first. A lot of us who are paying attention to the news, a lot of us who are paying attention to what's going on in the world, there are so many reasons to think that things are not okay. And I'm not saying that they are. I'm not going to say it's a bed of roses out there. Uh, whether it's go, what's going on in our country or around the world, how can you not be dismayed if you care about democracy, for example, or if you care about the sovereignty of, of um, individual countries? You know, Russia invades indiscriminately Ukraine as, as a, a bald attempt to uh, basically rebuild the USSR, uh, the Russian Empire. Ukraine is a sovereign country. They had no business doing that. That war is still going on. And to make it worse domestically is Trump and, and a lot of Republicans in the House in particular, and now more and more Senate Republicans in the Senate, are basically rooting for the wrong team. Uh, I don't understand how he got here. The war in Israel, October 7th, uh, the atrocities that occurred on that day. And listen, listen, any number of people of goodwill can quibble, not quibble. It's a, it's, there, there, there are a number of serious issues. I've been a critic of uh, Netanyahu's, the way he's been executing this war. Uh, I think there are ways to uh, be more careful and care for uh, civilians uh, on both sides of the line uh, you know, in Gaza and in Israel, that's a very uh, hard subject to grapple with. But I've been having some really meaningful uh, dialogue with dear, dear friends of mine who feel very differently about who the victims are. But we've been having it on a very human level. So yes, that's problematic. Uh, there, there, there are problems there. It's terrible. Atrocity is upon atrocity. So. And then look further around the world. China is making threats towards the sovereignty of Taiwan. You know, and that's just, I'm not a specialist in terms of foreign affairs, but you can, just reading the headlines of, of reliable sources, and there's, we're, the world is in a tenuous place, or you can look here domestically. Uh, so again, I know this is all about, the, the, <laughs> the idea of this talk is, it's going to be okay. Um, and I'm, I'm setting a lot of stuff up, setting the table, where it doesn't sound like it's okay. I'll get there. Just just track with me for a second. But we need to be sober-minded, again, about what's actually happening in the world and in our own, um, in our own front yard. Uh, so realistically, uh, Donald Trump has a very real chance of becoming president again. Uh, I'm not saying he's going to be. I'm not saying it's a slam dunk. We are an eternity away from election day. So... There is that, but 
it's not a de minimis chance that he'll actually occupy 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue again. And that to anyone who is paying attention to anyone who is not in their own bespoke reality, uh, which is a, a term that we'll be dealing with more in, in coming weeks, that poses a very serious threat to this American experiment. Um, if you want a great resource on exactly the different ways that the prospect of a second Trump term poses to American democracy, a really great resource is the January, February issue of the Atlantic titled If Trump Wins. And there are some great scholars, diplomats, writers, investigative journalists uh, that give an account of all the different ways that the U.S. will basically be broken. Uh, <laughs> who was it? Uh, the, one of the founders of Lincoln Project said, wrote the book. Uh, we had him on here. It wasn't Rick Wilson. Oh, man. Um, but the, the, the title of this book is Everything Trump Touches Dies. Couldn't be more true. So uh, check out the January, February issue of The Atlantic if Trump wins. So um, many of us who are taking things seriously are, are looking at what that would mean for the United States. And it's not being hyperbolic to say that a second Trump term would be the end of this country as we know it. If you like this show, you should check out another podcast that I love beyond politics it's entertaining informative and full of conversations with smart people with fresh ideas hosted by former u.s congressman paul hodes and our recent guest veteran political operative matt robeson they get amazing insiders authors analysts as guests plus they have a weekly news discussion show where republicans and democrats manage to have real conversations kind of like what we're going for here but they also mean it when they say they go beyond politics. So you'll hear from the leading expert on impeachment one week and the lead project scientist for the James Webb Space Telescope the next. Subscribe to Beyond Politics anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, and all the major apps. And we will be sure to put links to Beyond Politics in the show notes. By the way, just as a side note, this is why I'm grateful to have an outlet where I can articulate this notion. I've mentioned this a couple of times with friends who are not averse to a second Trump term, if not fully supportive. And, and when I say that, when I say something like Trump term would be the end of this country as we know it, the end of this democratic republic, the end of the American experiment as we know it, I've been cut off. Oh, Corey, you're just being hysterical. You know, and, and I, I don't, often get a chance, if ever get a chance to flesh it out with people who are friendly to the possibility of a second Trump term, if not full on supportive. So let's think about this. What we already know is he's already said that he will suspend the constitution. You know, there's, there's little, if anything, that I trust coming out of the pie hole of the individual named Donald Trump. But when he says something like, I will be a dictator on day one. <laughs> so um, the part about being a dictator, yeah, that's something I believe. He said it. That's that's exactly what he's going to suspend the Constitution. Well, what does that mean? Um, what, in one way, uh, he will assert his, whatever tools he can to, in fact, be above the law. There, uh, it, there are cases, as we all know, criminal and civil cases that are taking place 
in many different uh, districts throughout the country. Um, the Florida case about documents, the DC case about um, election, the, the election being stolen. He was crying foul. Oh, it was the, the 2020 was stolen, uh, which is bullshit. Uh, let's just call it what it is. And we can do an entire episode on the 60 plus cases uh, to, to, to examine that all the different ways leading up to the election between the election and January 6th uh, and, and beyond that he attempted to, to subvert uh, the electoral process at the federal level on, at, in different states. Um, there's plenty of evidence that will be meted out over the course of uh, these trials. But one of the first things that he's going to do if uh, you know he is in fact elected is he's going to put an end to those cases. He's going to put an end to the cases that he can put an end to. He doesn't have the power even as the executive uh, in at the federal level as president to end the one in Georgia, uh, the Fulton County one, but he can put an end to the one in Florida, the documents case, the DC one about January 6th, the New York one about paying the hush money to for porn stars. Um, so, and he will do that. And he'll in fact be above the law. So, um, you know, I, and let's, let's just do this for a second. One other way that this is, it's already, it's already been bad for our, not just our country, but our culture, the way we talk to each other is anytime you bring up January 6th with friends who are Trump adjacent, Trump sympathetic, Trump supportive, um, immediately the summer of 2020 comes up. Uh, and that is just a trick. It's a dirty trick in order to not talk about January 6th. So the, the protests that occurred in the summer of 2020 after George Floyd was murdered, that let's talk about that. That's a separate subject. But now the two are inextricably, the, the attempt to inextricably connect January 6th with the protests of, of uh, the summer of 2020, that's a muddying of the waters. It's a dirty trick. It's basically, a, uh, I know you are, but what am I on a grand scale? Or another more specific way of doing this is we just heard last week that Biden uh, is not going to be brought up on charges for this. I'm talking about Biden now for his having documents uh, that he wasn't supposed to have. So again, muddying the waters. Oh, well, it's not fair. It's stacked. You know, the, the um, you know, he, he Biden is sicking the, the, the DOJ against Trump. He's scared of Trump. You know, he had documents. He had documents. It's not fair. Why is Trump getting in? Why is Trump having to go through a whole uh, federal case? Here's why. It's not, it's not the same. <laughs> it's literally not the same. And it was written out in uh, her's report about Biden. Why wasn't, isn't Biden? Because he was cooperative. That's the bottom line. Why is Trump having to go through this? Why has Trump gone through the grand jury process and the, the whole judicial process to where it's likely that this will go to a case in front of a jury? Why? It's very simple. When it was determined that he had documents he shouldn't have had, um, the, the, he was approached by the proper authorities who are supposed to retain those documents. Hey, you need to give these documents back. What he did was he, Trump illegally retained the documents. And then when there was an attempt to retrieve the documents, he illegally obstructed um, the process by which they would uh, retain. And then in, in, in the process all after that, he lied. So he retained, obstructed, and lied as pertains to the documents 
that um, he was not supposed to have. It's kind of like, you know, taking Air Force One. Oh, it's mine. I I want it. It's mine. I deserve it. I have no, no, no. And then when you know somebody says, uh, "Sir, sir," <laughs> you notice how every time he tells a story, like, uh, and he approached me with tears in his eyes, and he said, "Sir." So somebody would go to trouble. Sir, you can't have uh, you can't have Air Force One. Um, oh, I don't have it. You know, he lies about it. Or no, no, no. Look here. Look there. I struck you. Like it's it's a, it it is literally the same thing. Air Force One is not his. A lot of these documents are not. Setting aside the fact that a lot of these documents he's flaunting in front of these people who are ghostwriters for Mark Meadows' book with, with um, military secrets that put us all in harm's way. That's not even the crime. It's the danger, but that's not even the crime. It's retaining the documents illegally after it was found that he had documents he's not supposed to have. They're property. It's like having Air Force One. You're not supposed to have Air Force One. He retains them beyond the point where he was asked to return them. He obstructed the process by which they would be retained and he lied about it all along the way. That's what, and comparing Biden, yes, it's similar in that grass is green and the Celtics wear a green uniform. That's about the same way that they're the same. Anyway, I'm getting off track, but it's important because all of this is, is the process. It's the judiciary processes or our institutions and how they work, an entire branch of our government, and it's working. And by the way, by the way, this isn't some grand scheme, some conspiracy theory. It's, it's how our government works. It's how our society works. You know, I heard, I heard Senator J.D. Vance, a U.S. senator from Ohio, on a news show the other day, and it, he he got pushback because JD oh it's uh, you know they're all out to get him and this is illegitimate and um, I think it was on CNN uh, Jake Tapper who said these were these are jury trial he was referring to the um, uh, the case in New York where he lied about someone to her detriment and uh, and it was determined that he was liable for raping this individual, E. Jean Carroll. Um, and now he owes, he, the first time around, he was, uh, he lost the case. It was, a, you know, a jury trial. Um, this time around, it was a jury trial to determine how much money he owed her because he did it again. Uh, and J.D. Vance is brushing it off. Oh, well, that's a far left district. That's an extreme, you know, uh, liberal, uh, left, whatever. He dismissed it as if people in New York don't count as if people in New York aren't registered voters, as if people that happen to live in a state, in the union, in the United States, don't count. Why? Because he's determined, oh, that's a, that's a, a far left state. That's a far left district. They don't count. They're not real Americans. They're not really registered voters who deserve a place on a jury. How our whole system works. And while we're at it, there also happen to be people who happen to be registered Democrat in Ohio. Do they count? For, for a U.S. senator, he was dismissive. Oh, that's not, that doesn't really count. No, this is how the process works. Whether you agree or disagree, you can't just say, oh, well, you know, I'm a Dodger fan and that guy's an Angel fan. He doesn't really count. He doesn't really get to participate in the system, so that doesn't really count. This is a U.S. senator who said that. So I, I, could, uh, I could belabor that point, but I feel like I, I already have. So what, what do we also know about if Trump was elected to a uh, second term? We know that he would weaponize the Department of Justice against his political opponents. He sees he sees the what's happening to him, all of the different ways that he broke the law allegedly, 
um, all of the different, and, and the, the system is playing itself out. He's being held to account for all these different things. And if it goes before a jury and a jury uh, finds him not guilty, great. Or if it's a hung jury, okay. Uh, the, you know, th there's a process that we can abide by, but these are legitimate um, in infringements on the law in, in four different criminal districts, including, you know, including Fulton County, let alone New York and, and DC and Florida as well as the, the civil cases against him, he broke the law and let the system play itself out. Just like he had challenges against the electoral process, he brought it up to six, over 60 cases. Let the system play itself out. Let's see how it plays out. If he's found not guilty on all 91 counts against him, all power to him. Good, congratulations. You know, but this is how the system works. He broke the law, allegedly. I'm not going to say allegedly. It's stupid. It's not stupid. I know my lawyer friends would say, no, it's not stupid. You got to say that. I'm not going to say it because I'm not a lawyer, but he broke the law. He's being charged. How is he being charged? In a few of these cases, it went before a grand jury to figure out whether he could be charged or not. Uh, and, and the process is playing itself out. Let it play itself out. But what he's going to do is he's going to circumvent the process. He's going to circumvent. He is going to weaponize the DOJ. What he's accusing, again, going back to I know you are, but what am I? So he's going to weaponize the DOJ. He's going to bring up, just like, just like the House did with Mayorkas. You know, with with Secretary Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, they impeached him. Why? Why? Because they disagree with his policies. Why? He didn't break the law. These aren't high crimes and misdemeanors. You're, you're seeing a predicate. You're seeing a preview of what's to come. There was no basis. There was no constitutional basis to to vote uh, for an impeachment against Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. But. Trump picked up the phone. He says, somebody got to get impeached. Somebody, just impeach somebody. So why? So we can muddy the waters. You know, I know you are, but what am I? I'm rubber, you're glue, whatever you say. You know, all that. This is this is asinine. You know, Mayorkas, you could even say he's he's bad at his job. But he he the, he's not guilty of high crimes and misdemeanors. And this is going to go exactly where it should go. Nowhere. But the DOJ, excuse me, the Republicans in the House needed to do a performance, a tap dance to appease their 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 child their 70 plus year almost 80 year old child of a leader uh because he's throwing a temper tantrum that's all it was about it wasn't constitutional process uh it was a performance it was a performance you know and he's you know and and, and if if trump is elected again you know full well he'll weaponize the doj uh not just with impeachments but he'll charge biden with i don't know being old he'll charge biden with being a meanie he'll charge bill barr for not protecting him and lying for him uh, and, and holding up our, our democratic institution of the, the election process itself. He'll, he'll, he'll um, bring Liz Cheney up on charges for being a strong, uh, intelligent, principled woman. I wonder if you could create charges that basically say, uh, you know, the, the subtext is, I'm very intimidated by you, but he'll put his Trump, you know, terrible, terrible woman, that nasty woman, Liz Cheney, you know, you know full well she'll be brought up on charges. So we know these things. I might be exaggerating, making light of some of this. I have to because it's so depressing. You know, he'll, you know what else? This is the other thing because he started to do it. He tried to do it after the election in 2020. He'll weaponize the military to, uh, to, to quash domestic protest. You'll start to see specific rights uh, that are memorialized in the First Amendment. The, the right to free speech, the right to free assembly, the right of, of a free press. Uh, so, so, you know, the, these will certainly be 
um, threatened, uh, at the very least. He, he's already tried to weaponize the military in the past, not with success because he had some bulwarks in his administration that were stopping him from his worst impulses. You know, those, those barriers will not be there. Jim Mattis will not be there. John Kelly will not be there. Uh, he will only have sycophants in this next administration. So the question is, do military, uh, do high, high level personnel in the military, will the military be able to withstand that? Uh, like I said before, the, a lot of the bulwarks in the system bent, but they didn't break. But in some ways they were already broken. And ha a lot of them having bent, it is, they're gonna break. That's, that's the bottom line. We already know this. Another way that this can happen, we already started to see the beginnings of it in the first term, and we're going to see it like a cancer in the second term. Uh, Trump and his lackeys will start to withhold aid from states that they don't like. You know, God forbid something happens, an earthquake, wildfires, uh, floods. You don't think, he, he already did it. He already did it in his first term, and this is going to happen with impunity in his second term. He's going to withdraw the U.S. from NATO. We've already seen this. You know, he thought he was making a funny joke, telling one of his sir, sir stories. Sir, if we don't pay, like he has no understanding of how NATO works, nor does he care. He wants to impress uh, his, his, you know, Putin. He wants to impress his man crush from North Korea, you know, and he, Ukraine uh, will be subject to uh, Putin's dictatorship, uh, to, to Putin's domination. Um, which opens the door to Poland, which opens the door to Eastern Europe, uh, to, you know, he'll give Taiwan to China, you know, because these guys in, in, in Trump's mind are strong, uh, brilliant, you know, uh, he admires these guys. He, he, you know, doesn't, admire is not the right word. In a way he's jealous, but he's too weak of an individual um, to have like real admiration. Um, he just, he has envy. That's what it is. He envies these guys, but in a way that he, he wants to be like them and he kisses up to them because he wants to be another one of them. He wants to be in the club, you know, the Xi Jinping, the Putin club. <laughs> so anyway, um, I, I know I'm painting a pretty dark picture, but I thought it was important. If I'm going to say it's going to be okay, I need to acknowledge all the ways that it's not okay and potentially it's not going to be okay. But stepping back for a second, these same friends who just don't want to hear this extended set of very real concerns about a second Trump term, it won't be that bad. He didn't do that in the first term, they might say. Things were great during his first term. So that's, uh, I've heard it all, you know. But first of all, no, uh, there's, there's a talent for very selective memory in terms of the damage that he's already done. Um, and there's a dangerous naivete about the damage that he can do. So again, the guardrails won't be there. Jim Mattis was there. John Kelly was. Don McGahn, Bill Barr, even these guys. And a lot of a lot of folks don't like the way 99% of the way Bill Barr did his job as Attorney General. Say what you want about that, but in the end, he came out on the right side of democracy. So I, I I've talked about the idea of having an exit ramp for folks. I always hold that exit ramp open. You know. Before we move on, I wanted to tell you about something else that's important. Money, <laughs> uh, specifically your money. In all seriousness, I wanted to tell you about my advisor 
and my friend, George Meza. George runs Meza Wealth Management. And with George, it's not just about money. It's about helping us manage our present and plan for our future. And unlike a lot of other firms out there, George and I actually have a relationship. He knows me, he knows my family, and I know his wonderful family. I also know his firm and the incredible team he's put together from his chief investment officer to some of the other great people in his office, like Jessica, their head of operations that are always there to help me and with all aspects of our portfolio. You see, the thing is, I got a lot going on. I guess we all got a lot going on and I don't have the time to watch our investments all day, every day. And even if I did, I don't have the experience and expertise that George's team collectively has. So we get the entire Mesa Wealth Management team, all their expertise and all their integrity. And again, it's based on George knowing me personally, knowing my goals and even the kind of risk that's appropriate for me to take, which by the way, could change from one season to the next. And they're on top of all of that. So if you want George Meza and Meza Wealth Management to be on your team, just visit their website, mezawealth.com. That's M-E-Z-A wealth.com, www.mezawealth.com. And that will also be in our show notes, so you can check that. And now, back to our show. So we will have a Stephen Miller as a Secretary of State or Attorney General or something like that. That's what we'll have. We'll have nothing other than sycophants and bootlickers whose only qualification is the degree to which they'll do whatever the hell Donald Trump wants. An entire executive branch hollowed out with the exception of those who pass the purity test of loyalty, uh, never ending blind loyalty to Donald Trump. But I digress. My Trump supporting friends still support him because the TV shows they watch, the podcasts they listen to, the news they read, and Donald Trump himself are all telling them over and over and over again how terrible things are now. There's an invasion of illegals, you know, and to me, like you can tell that I am not terribly sympathetic to that, you know, but the truth is even friends of mine, people that I respect, I've heard maybe not the way that Trump talked about it on the speech where he came down the the golden escalator in 2015, but I do hear words like these uneducated, these untrained, even I've even heard somebody that I, I like this guy. He's a, he's a buddy of mine, but he said these dirty dirty immigrants. I'm like, dude, do you hear yourself? You're like smoking a crack pipe every day. You got to back away, dude. Like I, you're better than that. Uh, it really bothered me when I heard that uh, description of people. Th- these are human beings. They happen to have bo- been born on the uh, another side of an imaginary line in the sand, you know, so we call them illegals. No, they're human beings, you know, but again, I, I'm, I'm spelling this out because I'm trying to say that there are concerns that these folks have. They have concern about inflation, about crime, about Biden being old. And again, I'm not as sympathetic to a lot of these concerns, and I could go through each one and explain why. But here's the thing. It's not my place to be dismissive of what my friends or family members are worried about. It's certainly not helpful if I mock what people feel, whether I agree with it or not. And believe it or not, it's not, it's typically not very productive to use logic or statistics to pound them with, read this news article. Here's a link. Here's another one. I mean, seriously, like, have you tried that? Have you tried the whole link? Read this article. Like, number one, do they read it? I mean, overall, like, how did it work out for you? (laughs) It's it's not a very effective way of saying, uh, you know, of of changing somebody's mind. That's what I found. Um, But the point is, regardless of how you typically vote, regardless of which TV channels you're watching or websites you typically read, a lot of people are really anxious either about the way things are or what might happen down the road. And here's the thing, (laughs) this is what I wanted to say. 
it's going to be okay. It's, see, like, no, really, it's, it's going to be okay. And all the proof I have, here's it. Here's what it is. John Stewart's back on The Daily Show. <laughs> it's going to be okay. No, I'm just kidding. That's not my whole reason for saying it's going to be okay. Yeah, any number of these things might happen that we, we, I've been talking about for, for a little bit now. Um, any, any of these things are happening. Um, one more quick rabbit trail. A buddy of mine is all up in arms about these trans issues, as he put it, or they're being rammed down my kid's throat at school. Um, so I tried to say like, look, dude, I, I'm trying to be a better friend. Um, and to, even though I don't take the particular concern he's articulating seriously for various reasons, um, I'm trying to take him seriously. So I, my first response is, look, it, it, what are you talking about? Well, there's all these books now in the libraries. And I, I don't know all these books, like it's, it's a very general statement, but I'm like, dude, listen, if there's a book, she doesn't have to take it out of the library. You know that, right? <laughs> um, he's like, oh, no, no, it's on the summer reading. She's got to read it. And I'm like, she doesn't have to. And even if it's something that they're doing in a class, you can opt her out. You know that, right? Oh, no, the school is going to object and I'm going to have, you know. And I said, okay, so first of all, that's not going to happen. I know that's not going to happen. I've had kids in school. We've dealt with this, you know. Um, so you can opt your kids out. Oh, but they will. The school object. They'll make her. No, no, no. They're not going to make her. And, and by the way, if they do, you can make a case about it. You can actually, and you'll win, whether it's a state level or at, you bring it all the way to the Supreme Court, you'll win. If the tw last 25 years have shown us anything, it's that the, um, this fine line has been walked in terms of having uh, personal agency over, <laughs> you, you can't force people to uh, to read a certain like what are they going to do they're going to you know strap her to a chair force her eyes open and force her to read a book against the parents objections that simply doesn't happen um so and if it anything even remotely like that happened he'd have a case and he'd win uh and i don't know it'd be an interesting but his his response to that was well it, i shouldn't have to make a case about it i'm, I'm like dude you're not going to have to but but that's kind of our system you, you shouldn't have to. So everybody should agree with you. Everybody, everybody should agree with every single whim that you have, you know? So it, it's, um, some of these conversations, frankly, are futile. I have them, so you don't have to. <laughs> but uh, it, it's, it's just interesting, the thinking. But I brought that up to say, like, look, there are ways, I'm not doing it in a perfect way, but there are ways to take the person seriously without taking their concerns too seriously. <laughs> Because that's not a serious concern, but you know, you can also talk someone through like, hey, here's how that works, and here's the reality of it. If you choose to continue to be upset about this imaginary drama that you've created in your head, that kind of sounds like a you problem. <laughs> I shouldn't have to make a case. No, everybody should agree with you out of the womb. And we should all be pro that, and that's by the way, that's not democracy. We should all be pre-programmed to agree with all of your whims. Um so the other side of that, a lot of my friends that recognize the danger to democracy that that a second Trump term poses, as well as the damage he's already inflicted. And, and like, look, the, the peaceful transfer of power is no longer a given. So it, it's damage has already been done. How many of us are, are worried about what's going to happen on Election Day, the kind of violence that's going to break out on Election Day? And these are not anomalies. It's happening you know, like after seeing the threats 
the death threats, the harassment, the intimidation against election workers, people are volunteering their time. Who, who would want to subject themselves to that? A lot of damage has already been done. Um, so a lot of folks are already going through all different scenarios in their head. Um, you know, but even to them, I say, it's going to be okay. Not that Trump won't get reelected, you know, and, and believe me, there's, there's a lot between here and election day, 2024, a lot can happen. I'm not saying he's not going to win the primary. He's still likely the li most likely uh, Republican nominee, but there's a lot in between now, now and then, whether it's a health thing, this dude's almost 80 years old and, and he's, he's eaten big, you know, big Macs and Whoppers, you know, his whole life. He doesn't live the most, you know, the most, uh, it's not like he's walking those 18 that he's playing every day. You know, he's in his golf cart and somebody else is even driving. He's not even working out his damn arms. You know, he's swinging a golf club, but you know, it's, I don't know. <laughs> he, my point is he's not the healthiest dude in the world. So something can happen there. Also, these cases are going to move forward. You know, there's competent attorneys that are prosecuting these cases. They're going to continue to move forward. Don't, <laughs> Charlie's agreeing with me. I don't know if you heard that. Um, don't think that that's not going to have some sort of an effect. So let's let these things play out. There's my point is there's a lot of time between now and election day of 2024. You know, whether it's a health thing or legal thing, one way or the other, there's a lot of time. And it's not out of the question that somehow, some way, even if Laura Trump is head of the RNC, that Trump will not, in fact, be the nominee. But that that's a lot more far that's a lot more far fetched because they're you know, they're on the payroll, let's put it that way. But even if he does, even if he does, it'll be okay, we can figure it out. I mean, it's not going to be the same, a lot of things we've taken for granted will be under threat or, or they'll be gone altogether, speech, the freedom of speech, the freedom of assembly for the free press, you don't think he's going to start arresting journalists who write stories that he doesn't like, uh, emergency services, like I talked about before. But who's like, this is going to sound dire, but like, who says these things are a given? Like we, a lot of us were born when they, the, these things can be almost taken for granted. That This is where we were born and when we were born. But the history of my family, you know, these things were, you couldn't expect the government to come in and, and provide resources and support if your area was flooded out, if your area got hit with wildfire. This is a new thing in history. My family... You know, my father's side of the family is from Ukraine. They lived there for somewhere between 800 and 1,000 years. So, you know, they figured it out without um, without really free speech, always being under threat from, from something. My um, father's father's side, I think, is from uh, Western Europe. You know, they had to live through uh, different points over the last 1,000 years, the Crusades and the Inquisition. So it's not to say bad things don't happen, but you know something? They figured it out. My, my grandmother's family, yeah, bad things happen, especially after Easter every year. The Cossacks would come through and rampage and rape and pillage and burn and kill. Uh, but, you know, they had a mill and they had a bar slash restaurant. And there were, you know, students, rabbinic students. You know, they, they got married. They raised families. And when they had to, they figured out how to get here. So they figured out how to be okay like not great, not thriving. They didn't avoid traumatic, traumatic experiences for years, if not decades, but they figured out how to get through it, you know? 
uh, I'm sure your family's histories are similar, you know, where, wherever you might come from, you know, even if a lot of these worst things play out, I don't think we're going to have to live through the crusades. God forbid we should have to live through a Holocaust, you know, God forbid we should have to live through an inquisition or even anything remotely like that. We're probably not. Um, but whatever tragic things are before us, I think we're going to be okay. We can figure it out. Our family's got it figured out. We can figure it out. You know, I still believe, realistically, I still believe there's less than a 50-50 chance that Trump gets the second term, mostly because I believe that even though this country's been through a lot of close calls, we've somehow muddled our way through. Even though we haven't always been our best selves, I mean, we're a country that's made up of 330 million people. People, not gods, human beings, all of whom are imperfect in so many ways. Uh, including me. So yeah, we're going to hit some bumps in the road, to say the least. We're going to collectively show our asses from time to time. But I do believe we will muddle our way through. And even if one of the worst case scenarios happens, we'll still be okay. It's not going to stop me from taking a walk. It's not going to prevent me from reading a good book or even having a great conversation with a friend or a family member. I'll still be able to enjoy a good meal and invite my family and friends over for a nice gathering and even take in a ball game, you know, uh, whether it's on TV or, or live. And again, I know terrible things happen. As I'm recording this yesterday at a big celebration, something terrible, terrible has happened. I'm not saying that's, but whether terrible things happen or not, and terrible things have happened and do happen, I'm not saying that's not the case, but I can't live in the what if. I can't, I can't imagine all of these terrible things every time I walk outside. I can't live always basting in the worst case scenario and die a thousand deaths in my imagination about it, whether it happens or not. But I can live in the now. I can take responsibility for how I experience what's happening today and how I think about what could happen tomorrow. At the end of the day, I can only have some agency over how I react to all that's happening, how I engage with my neighbor or talk to my wife and my kids and my friends about it. And while I'll be realistic or try to be as realistic as possible about the way things are playing out, whether that's a good or, you know, good things or bad, I, I can, oh, I can, I can try. I can try to live from day to day and moment to moment in a way that engenders joyfulness and peacefulness even some fun and all the things that are good. And that's all I think we can do. Um, so that's why I say it's going to be okay. Even if it's not okay, it'll be okay. <laughs> I don't know. Did, did that make any sense? I'd love to hear what you thought. I, I'd love to hear like your, your thoughts about that. Am I living in fantasy land? <laughs> you let me know. I think it's going to be okay. Even if it's not okay, it'll be okay. So as always, if you dig what we're doing here, remember to follow, rate, and review, and tell a friend about talking politics and religion without killing each other. We're easier to recommend than ever. It's politicsandreligion.us. It's politicsandreligion, spelled out politicsandreligion.us. Or you can find me online at Corey S. Nathan. And you know how to spell it. It's Corey with an E, S as in Sam, N-A-T-H-A-N, at Corey S. Nathan. Now, go talk some politics. And religion, gentleness and respect and peace and love and all those good things. And have a great week.